Hello and welcome to Socialism, the weekly Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. Trade unions are always areas of fundamental concern for Marxists. Now they are poised to play a pivotal role in Britain's winter election and the convulsions that will follow. In 1974, a Tory government lost a general election on the question of who governs Britain by posing its programme to attack workers against a national strike by the miners' union standing up for workers. In 2019, Tory Prime Minister Boris Johnson could face national strike action during his election campaign too. And if Jeremy Corbyn wins, what happens then? He will come under huge pressure to water down his programme and leave the capitalist fees and cutters in place. Should the union simply cheerlead for Labour, or should they be ready to campaign and strike to force pro-worker policies through, whoever wins on 12th of December? A few days ago, Socialism put out a special episode on the political tasks for the workers' movement in the winter election, and we'll hear updates on this in the second part of the episode. Now, we'll hear from two prospective workers' leaders, PCS Union General Secretary candidate Marion Lloyd, speaking in a personal capacity, and RMT Union National Executive Committee candidate Jared Wood. This episode of Socialism discusses trade union leadership at a crucial time, building fighting, democratic trade unions. Our job is to join up struggles. Our job is to give members the confidence that with the proper strategy and effective leadership, we can win. We must cut through the growing bureaucracy that exists inside PCS. I have the confidence in our method and our approach, but also in the preparedness of our members and class to fight and win. We must rebuild the left on the basis of a political strategy, an industrial strategy, and one that at the heart of it is democracy and respects discussion and debate. We need to replace the current leadership. It is spent and it is worn. They have no faith in our members to struggle. We do. Hello, Martin Powell Davis here from the Socialist Party National Committee. I'm a science teacher and activist with the National Education Union, as well as a former officer and national executive member for the National Union of Teachers. In this episode, I'll be speaking to two Socialist Party members standing for leadership positions in the trade unions at a time when the union leadership could make or break the fight against austerity. And in the struggle to come, whoever wins the general election in December. Marion Lloyd is a civil servant, an activist in the civil service union PCS, which organised 185,000 workers from accountants to cleaners. She's currently president of the PCS group in the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. That's B-E-I-S, or we'll call it BAYS for short. Marion has a long record as a union rep fighting for members, including leading successful strikes, and is standing for general secretary of the PCS, the general secretary being the day-to-day national leader of the union. Hello, Marion. Hello. And Jared Wood is a station worker on London Underground. (coughs) but speaking in his capacity as a station rep for the transport union, RMT, which organises over 80,000 workers from railway engineers to sailors. Jared has a long record as a union rep fighting for members, and he's standing for the London transport seat on the RMT's National Executive Committee, the NEC. And the NEC is responsible for union policy, directing strikes, 
and overseeing officials like the General Secretary. Hello, Jared. Hi. Well, look, everybody, first of all, both of your elections for trade union leadership are now, of course, taking place during a general election for the British Parliament. So what are you calling for in the general election? In terms of the union leadership, they are giving blanket support to the Labour Party. I'm standing on a platform that is calling for a maintenance of the independent voice of PCS, a politically independent voice. But yes, we want to see Jeremy Corbyn elected. But the reason we want Jeremy Corbyn elected is because his programme very much reflects the policies that we have inside PCS, such as breaking the pay cap, such as tax justice, such as the creation of climate jobs. What I don't support is a blank cheque for Labour because, of course, the Labour Party is still riddled with those MPs who I would call on the right wing of the party who actually not still vote for cuts and closures and pay caps, but were part of the Blair Brown government and supported his call for 80,000 civil service job losses. Why would we support them? So yes, we want a Corbyn government, but no, we are not going to resource blanketly all Labour MPs. We want a government that is going to implement the policies and programme that benefits our members. OK, and Jared, would you say it was the same position with the RMT? The RMT's position is to support a Labour government. I want to see a Labour government. Our position, I think, is premised on Corbyn's leadership and the manifesto of 2017 being repeated or improved this time. And on that basis, we're supporting a Labour victory. We're going to campaign for a Labour victory. And I think that everyone in our union recognises that this is a massive opportunity to elect somebody who has been a consistent fighter and campaigner against austerity. It's an opportunity to prove that the ideas of fighting against the neoliberal orthodoxy that we've had for many years, which includes privatisation, wage restraint, attacks on workers, can be fought, that the idea of fighting that is popular. And so we see this election as absolutely critical. And, you know, I mean, both of your unions, uh, I think that's correct in saying, aren't affiliated to the Labour Party, actually, like some of the other unions. What do you think is the best thing that you can do, your members can do during the general election period to actually bring about that Corbyn-led victory that you were talking about, obviously on the policies of Jeremy Corbyn? Just building on what I said earlier, I think the best thing that PCS members can do is obviously to canvass for support for those MPs who support union policy. I've already set out the sorts of things that I would think about. But I also think the union itself missed an opportunity. And I think the other thing that members can do and activists can do is actually put pressure on people that are standing for Parliament and ask them if they are prepared to back the agenda that will benefit PCS members in terms of our pay, our pensions and our jobs. And in RMT? Yeah, we had quite an extensive debate over whether or not we wanted to affiliate to Labour. Of course, we were affiliated in the past. The Labour Party disaffiliated us because we wanted to support socialist candidates in Scotland. So there was quite a debate about that. And the view of delegates to a special general meeting was that we would rather target our resources and our help 
towards Jeremy and towards MPs who support Jeremy's position on issues like nationalisation of the railways and all the other socialist elements of, of his programme than give money in a more general sense to the National Party. Now, when it comes to this election, we have a position towards this particular general election that we want to see Labour elected. We want a Labour majority, so we will be supporting Labour to win the general election. Branches have the authority to support any Labour candidate that they want to support. But we do also have a political strategy that's long-standing, which states that we will only support MPs who support the aims of our union. And it's certainly my view that we would be better off giving money towards Corbyn's office and towards promoting the manifesto than we would be giving it to individual candidates who, after an election, even if Jeremy were to secure a majority, would be doing everything they can to sabotage his programme and avoid putting his manifesto into action. And unfortunately, that it remains the situation that there are many within the Labour Parliamentary Party who would do just that. So my, my view is that we should avoid personally supporting anyone like that, but we should do everything we can to get Corbyn's manifesto and Corbyn elected. Well, that's an interesting point. I think you're both saying, therefore, that we can't just give a blank cheque to those MPs that have been playing the role of actually uh, effectively stabbing Corbyn in the back and, of course, may be elected, may become Labour MPs, but not necessarily Labour MPs that we can trust to actually back Jeremy Corbyn. So, crystal ball, we don't know what's going to happen in the general election. Obviously, we hope, like in the last election, that actually Corbyn will put across his policies and start to build more and more support. Hopefully, that that manifesto will be a good one. And obviously, we say, the Socialist Party says, that Corbyn should go further than that. But if Jeremy Corbyn is elected, what do you think will happen then? Inevitably, those other MPs, the opposition to Corbyn is going to be big. What can the unions do to try to give support concretely to a Corbyn government trying to carry out the Corbyn programme? What do you think will be the situation in transport and for the RMT? Well, you said we need a crystal ball to answer that. I think we would do, but I'll have a go. You know, we don't know what the situation will be after a general election. You could conceivably have a Labour majority. You could have a hung parliament, which is perhaps a more likely outcome. And in either situation, you will have pressure being brought on Corbyn to try and include as many people as possible, which will include, no doubt, people who've been carrying out austerity cuts for many years, people who have no interest in a socialist programme for Labour. And I think the trade unions have to give Jeremy confidence, get behind him, show him that we can mobilise people behind the idea of fighting for a socialist programme to be put into action in Downing Street and not to make concessions to those who will be asking him to drop key elements of his programme, including, no doubt, renationalisation of the railways, you know, including other measures like scrapping universal credit, for example. There'll be, there'll be all sorts of pressures brought to bear to try and get rid of those policies that the ruling elite really do not want to see put into action. And I think what we have to do as a trade union movement is to mobilise as much support as we possibly can and to create as much pressure to push a Labour government to the left as they're coming under to capitulate and move to the right. I guess from the point of view of your members in terms of the RMT, then that policy about nationalising rail 
is quite a key policy. Do you think it's one that your members feel is going to be carried through? Oh, it's absolutely a key policy. I think if you were to ask RMT members up and down the country, is that going to be carried out? I think most would certainly hope it's going to be carried out, but there is a concern about the timescale because Labour's policy is not to immediately renationalise railways, but it's to bring the individual franchises back under public control as they expire. Now, that could take decades to get through. And in the meantime, the private companies are still going to be taking the profits from public subsidy, which ironically largely go into the public rail systems of the rest of Europe, because it's Deutsche Bahn and SNCF and others, uh, Trenitalia in Italy. While I've got nothing against the nationalised rail systems of Europe, I do think it's somewhat absurd that public subsidy and passengers' fare money in Britain is not able to be fully reinvested into the rail industry and fares be subsidised and wages and jobs be improved if public money is going into that in the British rail system. And so that's what we would like to see. We'd like to see a much quicker return to a fully integrated, publicly owned and controlled rail system. And Marion, from the point of view of civil servants that you work with, what do you think of the key policies that they would be seeing to be implemented by a Corbyn government? I think the big one is around the pay cap. PCS members have been absolutely shafted by both the freeze and the cap, because even though they talk about, the Tories talk about the pay cap being lifted, the reality in the civil service is that we are still getting 1% or 2% pay rises. So can you just explain, what was the pay cap? Well, it started with the pay freeze, actually, where there were no pay rises for civil service workers for a period of years. That was followed by a cap in pay, which meant that nobody could get more than a 1% increase on their pay year on year. That coupled with the lack of ability to reach the top of the pay scales, which is the rate for the job in, in that sense, has meant that our members have been absolutely shafted. We've got people who aren't on the living wage. We've got 27,000 members who are outsourced workers, actually, who barely meet the minimum wage. And we've got people claiming both sides of the counter. We've got people who administer the benefit system, but also claiming the very benefits that they administer, you know, which demonstrates just how bad the pay levels are. So for us, that is absolutely crucial. I agree with Jared that in terms of, you know, it'd be great, wouldn't it, to think that Corbyn's going to do everything that he says, but I, I absolutely agree with the point that Jared made, is that I think Corbyn is going to be put under an enormous amount of pressure not to do the things that he wants to do. And our job, I think, as a trade union is not to be a cheerleader for the Labour Party, it's to organise our members, to give him as much support and to put everybody else under pressure to make sure that they implement at least what is in their manifesto commitments around pay and the civil service and, of course, the anti-trade union laws as well. Well, perhaps we could pick up on that because, obviously, at the minute, the Conservative government, fearful of trade union action, brought in that trade union act to try and prevent it. Can you explain how that has been used to try and prevent civil servants taking action and what you think could be done to, to get round it. Obviously, we hope we could get an incoming government that's going to remove the Trade Union Act, but at the minute it's provided a barrier that we've got to find a way around. The civil service is an incredibly disparate workforce. There are probably in excess 
but I know there are in excess of 200 different employers in the civil service, whether they're civil service workers themselves or in what we call arm's length bodies, which are sort of like agencies, etc., linked into to national government. Having to get through a 50% threshold nationally has been an incredibly uphill struggle. So, so just to explain for people who haven't had to go through this, so you launch a ballot for industrial action because legally... In Britain, all trade unions have to go through, and it's got to be a postal ballot, hasn't it? So you've actually got to send the ballot paper to someone's home address, and then you've got to get 50% of everybody who was entitled to vote to actually vote in that election. So it's quite a barrier. It's it's huge. And unfortunately, the current majority amongst the PCS leadership have always made a fetish uh, of saying we have to have a single ballot, what we would call an aggregated ballot. So a single ballot across all of those... 200-odd employers, which again is an enormous task. The alternative that we proposed was that you had what we call disaggregated ballots, which you have separate ballots in all of those 200. And if that had happened, we would be in a pay struggle now because 21 of those employer areas, which covers tens of thousands of members in key departments, would have been struggling on pay. So the barrier is huge, but there is also a job of work for us to think through whilst we're waiting for the damn things to go as to how we can put ourselves in the strongest and the best position to get through that threshold so that it's not a barrier. And I think UCU and CWU have proved that it's absolutely possible. Well, absolutely right. So the CWU, the postal workers, successfully met their threshold and it looks like they're now going to be taking strike action. Just to explain, the UCU, the University and College Union, now they've just balloted over threats to pensions, pay and working conditions. And again, they've counted their ballot on a branch-by-branch basis. So you're saying a similar approach could be taken with the civil service departments? No, absolutely. There's nothing to stop that from happening. And in fact, you know, if that had been done in the last two national ballots, particularly the last one, we would have had a lot of areas that got through that 50%, they could now be in struggle on pay, which of course then builds the confidence of everybody else to join in. You could have seen a situation whereby those areas could have been reballoted, but unfortunately, because of the dogmatism of the current leadership, I think members themselves feel that they've been completely isolated on pay. And when I go around to the offices talking to them, they're, they're furious about it. So we need an alternative strategy to get through this threshold. Well, that's interesting because I think a lot of listeners may think that the present General Secretary of the PCS, Mark Savotka, is someone who's seen as being a left trade union leader. But you're raising that, in fact, there are considerable differences and quite a lot of anger from members about the fact that the industrial strategy and the political strategy that's been followed and not ones that you would support. Presumably, that's why you're standing as General Secretary candidate. Absolutely. I mean, it would be absolutely disingenuous of us, I think, not to acknowledge the role that Mark Swatk has played in his early years as General Secretary and the role of the left leadership, particularly in the build-up to the massive pensions dispute in 2011, which obviously was sold out by the TUC leaders and I think had a huge impact on his own confidence about what was possible in the raining down of all the attacks from the Tory government itself. My view is that he is out of touch 
um, as are a number of people at that level in the union, that they wanted to run a pay campaign on a single ballot, not really wanting to discuss how we can put ourselves in the strongest position to overcome the barriers put in our way by the Tory government, in particular the threshold. They didn't want to discuss linking up with pay and pensions and privatisation and job cuts. Thousands of our members are facing potential redundancy through office closures in job centres, in tax offices, in courts. How can you ignore that? And how can you pretend that there'll be those thousands of members will be more worried about their pay than they will about their job? So why wouldn't you link those things together so that you've got a holistic campaign where we go out boldly into the workplace, discuss with members, discuss with non-members actually, and get them to join the union about the best way that we can fight on all of those issues that are raining down on us by the Tory government and the employer. And that's why I'm standing. That fight has gone. This come and see us and we'll support you for strike is not the way to go. That is not leadership and we need a change. And that's why I'm standing as General Secretary. Marion, I've seen that in your material you've pledged not to take the full General Secretary's salary. Can you explain why that's important and why you're making that pledge? Well, I think a number of things. First of all, I think it is outrageous that our senior officials are paid the money in the top 10% of the best earners throughout the UK. And how, when you're earning that sort of money, do you actually keep in touch with the day-to-day -day problems that our members are facing? Secondly, I'm not in it for the money. I've been active all of my working life. I'm absolutely committed to fighting for the best outcomes for members in terms of jobs, pay and pension. And for me, that is about ensuring and making sure that I remain accountable to the people that elected me in the first place. And obviously your initial step was to get the nominations to go on the ballot paper. The ballot papers are now about to go out. So can you just explain what the timing of the... General Secretary election will be? Yep, the ballot papers are posted out on the 7th of November, so they'll probably be hitting people's doorsteps, probably that Friday or that Saturday, and the ballot runs through till the 12th of December, so if people want to vote, they need to vote and get their ballot paper in the post probably by about the 10th of December. So we've got everything to play for. So quite a lot happening around the 12th of December. Just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jared, obviously your situation isn't exactly the same, but can you explain why it's important that we get a socialist representative like yourself on the London Transport Region and on the RMT NEC, National Executive Committee? Jared, why are you standing for that election? Our union still has a socialist clause in our rule book. We stand for the transformation of society and for the administration of society in favour of working people. And I think it's really important that our union continues to campaign around those ideas, continues to popularise those ideas, and explains to our own members, as well as within the trade union movement more generally, that until such time as we do carry out a transformation of society, then we're going to be facing cuts, we're going to be facing austerity, facing pay restraint and attacks on our members' terms and conditions on a regular basis. As soon as we fight off one challenge, another challenge is going to be facing us. 
And you know, we're not we're not in the trade union movement just to fight defensive battles. We want to bring about a society where workers get a fair reward for the efforts that they put in, where we get the full fruits of our labour. And the only way to do that is to build a socialist movement and to carry out that transformation of society. So it's absolutely critical that as a union that's seen as a fighting militant union in this country, that we're at the front of all efforts to popularise those ideas. Well, thank you, Jared, and thank you, Marion. I hope that what Jared and Marion have said has explained why they're standing for those elections. Obviously, you can read in The Socialist, you can hear in these podcasts every week reports from the various struggles that are going on around the trade union movement, and I'm sure you'll hear further about what happens in the elections in the PCS and RMT. Thank you for listening. Karl Marx said, theory is a guide to action and socialism agrees, so here are some reports on some of the latest workers' struggle and also a roundup of the development in the general election campaign for 2019. First with our industrial report, here's Scott Jones again from the Hello. editor's department of the Socialist newspaper. Hi Scott. Branches of McDonald's, the fast food restaurant, are going on strike in London on the 12th of November. Yeah, that's right, we talked about it last week and one of the strikers themselves spoke at our event, Socialism 2019, on the weekend. Mm-hmm. We also carried the speech in the paper and he says... Fighting for £15 an hour means a lot to me. It would mean I don't have to work two jobs. Currently, I'm full-time at McDonald's and part-time at Sainsbury's. I start at Sainsbury's at 7am and then at McDonald's at 3pm until 11 or 12 at night. I basically only get three hours sleep in the week, which is appalling, you know, and it shows the reality for workers out there. He goes on to say, if we won £15 an hour, then I would have enough time to spend with my kids enough money to save up to go on holiday, and I basically have enough money to look after myself and my family. Mm. We're in this to win this. We're fighting together to win £15 an hour, and together we will win and be able to live a comfortable life. And that says it all, you know, just mm. the reality that £15 an hour means the difference it makes to workers like Lyndon. So we say support the strike. The strikers themselves will be rallying at Wandsworth McDonald's at 9am. That's in South London. That's in South London, yeah. And then a rally up in central London at Down the Street at 1pm. So get along and support them if you can. Or organise a solidarity event at McDonald's in your town or city. And this is a strike organised by the Baker's Food and Allied Workers Union. That's right. Next, the university and college union representing higher education lecturers and staff has won a national strike ballot. Well, they've won two national strike ballots, really? even better, yeah. They've decisively voted to back strike action in two separate issues, one on pensions and the other on pay conditions in higher education. So the union announced last week that 79% of members back strike action over changes in contributions to what they call the USS pension scheme. Okay. So there's previously been action over that last year as well. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, 74% supported strike action in the ballot over pay, casualisation, equality and workloads. Mm. So it was a disaggregated ballot, which basically means the votes for each branch were counted separately as a way to go over that draconian threshold which the Tories have put in yeah, place. Yeah, to win, to be allowed legally to go on strike, you have to get 50% of everyone who's eligible to vote has to vote. So in effect, people who choose not to vote or miss the postal ballot because you have to send it in the post are counted by the government as voting against strike action. It's completely undemocratic. That's right, yeah. So on the issue of pensions, there's actually 41 institutions, education institutions, who surpassed the trade union law requiring the 50% turnout, which is a huge amount of universities Mm. up and down the country, and an equal number in the other pay and conditions dispute. Now, the UCU has announced the days of strikes. There's eight days at 60 universities in total, 
from Monday the 25th of November to Wednesday the 4th of December. And of course the action coincides with the general election campaign, mm-hmm. but also action by McDonald's workers, the postal workers, mm-hmm. you know, and of course the Tories don't want to see this type of national strikes during the general election. No, no. But because of that, it's fantastic. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, and, and, and all these disputes as well will have a massive part to play in the general election campaign. And we think that coordinated strike action on the two issues in the UCU is the best way to unite the two campaigns, bringing staff affected by different problems together, building a stronger campaign, capable of pushing the bosses back. Not just coordinating within the sector as well, but we would ask them to talk to the communication workers union, coordinate with the postal strikes and all come out together to demonstrate that the austerity rule of the Tory party is not welcome, that workers will make this country ungovernable and that we want an administration which is fighting in the interests of ordinary working people. Exactly. And we have a warehouse worker writing in The Socialist this week about the appalling treatment that staff at his workplace received from management in terms of tracking their movements and bullying them through new technology and also going after their Christmas bonus. Exactly. So we've talked about with the McDonald's workers, you know, the reality for workers out there, reality in workplaces. And this is another devastating example, really. So it's a Tesco warehouse worker writing in the paper this week. And he says management at his warehouse uses new technology to harass the workers. And of course, like you said, Christmas bonuses, they've proposed a new pay deal, which includes scrapping the Christmas bonus. So rather than every work again, the 100 pounds as they do at the moment, five Mm. managers would draw lots for a bonus for one worker each. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my God. But of course, the managers themselves would all still get bonuses, of course. Of course, they still get them. Yeah. So um, the Workers' Union, as has rightly recommended that they reject the deal. And then on the issue of technology, so Tesco is increasing the use of what they call wearable technology. It's these arm-mounted computers, mm-hmm. PDAs, they're called in shops and warehouses. So the warehouse workers have to wear them. And the bosses say it's for increased productivity. But of course, that means tracking workers every minute they're on shift. Mm. So, you know, time standing still. Workers have asked why. They obviously tracked how many times they go to the toilet, time on breaks. You know, all the rest are really draconian use of the technology to inflict more so-called efficiency on the workers. Mm. So the worker writing in the Socialist this week says, but while management seems clueless about how to run the workplace efficiently, relying on snooping and bullying, the expertise shown by workers on the job and together on strike begs the question, could we not run our workplaces ourselves? Good question. This collective control is the basis of a real socialist society. We have both the labour power and the know-how. Currently, we are only out-organised, not outnumbered. And that's a very good point. He does explain in that article, doesn't he, how all this supposed efficient technology actually just clogs the job up. That's right. makes it less efficient. makes it more profitable because they can drive the wages down. But in terms of getting it done safely and getting it done as quickly and cleanly as possible, the managers make it worse. Exactly. And finally, an update on the big battle coming this winter, that of the postal workers against their bosses in Royal Mail and Parcel Force, organised by the Communication Workers Union, the CWU. Yeah, so union reps in the CWU are going to meet on the 13th of November and they're going to announce the strike dates coming out of that meeting. As you've heard on the podcast for from Gary Clark, he's a CWU branch secretary in Edinburgh and a Socialist Party Scotland member. Mm-hmm. He said when speaking at Socialism 2019 and in the Socialist newspaper this week, I'll tell you something, 14 days after 13th of November, that weekend coincides with Amazon's Black Friday and Cyber Monday. He says, I'm just guessing you, but I reckon we'll be out over that whole weekend for five days of strike action. Fantastic. Exactly. So that's the attitude and that's what's coming, hopefully. He goes on to say, we are now faced with a battle. We need every individual in this room to get round and visit your Royal Mail workplaces, get involved with support groups. We're in a fight to the finish. We need support from every single trade unionist and socialist in this country. 
And of course, we would reiterate that and say everyone listening to this, you know, should get along, visit their Roma workplaces, support the strikers. Great, thanks, Scott. Okay, and now for the updates on the general election campaign. So the left MP Chris Williamson, left Labour MP, has been blocked from standing. He's been blocked from standing for the Labour Party, that's right. He's the MP for Derby North, who is a strong supporter of Jeremy Corbyn and the left policies which he has come out with, and also internally as a strong supporter of the democratic selection of candidates to be MPs within the Labour Party by means of what is called mandatory reselection, which means that you don't have a job for life, that the incumbent will always face a competition to see if they're going to stand again each time there's an election. This is a very important policy which the Socialist Party has fought for from the very beginning of Jeremy Corbyn winning the leadership election, which would allow the ranks of the Labour Party and we hope as well the organised workers, the trade unions, to remove these anti-worker Blairite MPs. However, because of this kind of stance, he's been targeted by the Blairite right wing of the Labour Party and falsely, absolutely scandalously accused of racism, of anti-Semitism, and as a result has ended up suspended from the Labour Party and is now forced to stand as an independent. Now the Socialist Party calls on the local constituency Labour Party to refuse to select an official candidate to stand against Chris Williamson and to oppose any imposition of a new official Labour candidate by the party nationally because unfortunately the Labour Party has done this already in, for example, Enfield North in London where a right-wing Labour MP split away from the party, John Ryan, And the National Executive Committee of Labour imposed an all-right-wing shortlist of candidates on the constituency Labour Party, so there are no pro-Corbyn, anti-austerity, pro-worker candidates. Jeremy Corbyn in the National Executive Committee voted against this, but unfortunately was outnumbered. And all that will happen then is these people are elected and immediately stab Jeremy Corbyn in the back after the 12th of December. We believe what is necessary is a conference of trade unionists, Labour Party members, community activists and socialists to be called locally in Derby within the next few days, if possible, to discuss building a campaign of support for Chris Williamson and for the socialist policies on which he should fight. And another former Labour MP, also in this case a former Blairite minister, Mm -hmm. Ian Austin, he's been in the news too. He has because he's called for a vote for the Tories and this... (laughs) You know, he was a minister under the Brown administration, which was Tony Blair's successor, Gordon Brown, really carrying on exactly the same policies of war, privatisation and selective cutbacks in the public sector as well. And it really does just show what the real sympathies and the real class interests of these right-wingers in the Labour Party, what they truly are, given the slightest opportunity, and they call for a vote for the Tories of all people, that there is absolutely no loyalty towards the ordinary working people of this country. Now, Austin was appointed by the Tory government as a trade envoy to Israel in July, And as well as scandalously calling for a vote for the Tories, he has also been sticking the knife into Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, repeating that Jeremy Corbyn is somehow responsible for importing anti-Semitism into the Labour Party. Whereas, in fact, studies have shown that anti-Semitism is at low levels in the Labour Party and is no more prevalent in Labour than it is in wider society. Of course, it has to be dealt with where it comes up, but in fact, it's worse in the Tory party. So if anti-Semitism is the issue, clearly calling for a vote for the Tories is going to make the situation worse still. 
And what does this indicate? That it's not actually about anti-Semitism, but really it's about class interests. The Labour left needs to stop giving credence to these lies about anti-Semitism flourishing under Jeremy Corbyn. It's simply not the case, and refusing to state that allows the lie to gain further credence, and instead ought to come out openly and say, you are using this racist instrumentalisation of the legitimate fears of Jewish people as a cover to attack the anti-austerity pro-worker politics of Jeremy Corbyn to muddy the waters and confuse the situation. These Blairites need to be kicked out of the Labour Party. And we've mentioned the Blairites a few times. Speaking of the Blairites, the man himself, <laughs> Blair, he's in the news again as well. Yes, he is. This is the man who oversaw the decisive stages of the transformation of the Labour Party into a party which was completely safe for big business through the eradication of pro-worker policies and also the complete destruction of internal democracy and a role for the organised working class, the trade unions within the party. Now, he has obviously opposed Jeremy Corbyn's anti-austerity pro-worker leadership from the get-go. His initial tactic was to try to remove him from the leadership, and that has failed so far. Then he and the rest of his acolytes attempted to prevent a general election while Corbyn was still leader of the Labour Party. That has finally failed as well. So what's his strategy now? Well, writing in the Financial Times, Blair says, There is a good core of good Labour MPs who will not be whipped into supporting policy they do not believe in. They deserve strong support even from those not inclined to vote Labour. He goes on to say, Parliament would be worse without the Conservative independence. And to say, we need to get into Parliament many reasonable and capable politicians of all parties who will not spout populism. We need people who will put reasoned argument before ideology. If this Parliament has shown anything, it is that independent-minded MPs can make a difference and work constructively together. So what does that mean? That means make an alliance with anyone to keep Jeremy Corbyn and his pro-worker policies out of power. When he talks about populism, what he really means is pro-worker policies and reversal of austerity and privatisation. And the reality is that this mythical centre ground has been abandoned by working class people and young people and big sections of the middle class as well, not just in Britain, but all over the world, in votes, in street movements, which we're seeing across the planet at the moment. Blair's real aim is to defend capitalism and to reconstruct a political party for the capitalist class, which can do that, because all the parties which used to represent those interests are in total crisis. But there is one thing which Blair said in that article which is right, and it's this. After this election, the real battle over the future of British politics will begin. Yes. Because he recognises that there isn't going to be a stable government, that there isn't a basis for policies which defend capitalism, and that he doesn't say this, but there is going to be class struggle. To put the working class in the best position to win that struggle, the Socialist Party is calling for a Corbyn-led government. And of course, childcare is a key election issue. Yes, it is. About one in five parents quit their jobs because childcare is too expensive in Britain. 60% work fewer hours than they would like to because they can't afford to pay for someone to look after their kids. And of course, most of those will be women. Now, only 50% of local authorities have enough childcare available for full-time parents. Half of families are forced to pay to make up the difference. So what has Jeremy Corbyn placed in this election? Well, he's pledged to invest £4.8 billion in childcare and to expand universal, free, high-quality provision of childcare. 30 hours of free childcare are currently available for all three- and four-year-olds. He would extend this for all two- to four-year-olds, with additional free hours for those on the lowest income. And he's also promised £500 million for Sure Start centres, which are children's centres in local council areas, 
over 1,200 of which have closed down as a result of Tory austerity being passed on by local councils, both of the Tory and Labour persuasion. And he says he will reinstate free school meals for all primary age children. Now, all of these policies are good. The Socialist Party says that we must end parental and child poverty, and this needs a framework of different policies. There's not just one which will do it. We need to look at the whole system. And Labour does start to do this, so that's extremely positive. We say they should also reinstate pregnancy grants, maternity and child benefit for all, and end the government's two-child policy on tax credits, which they've actually pledged to do along with scrapping universal credit. That's in their policy pledges as well. That's very important. However, they should also raise benefit levels to reflect the real cost of pregnancy, childbirth and bringing up a child. And we need to fight for free, flexible childcare, for the right to paid parental leave for both women and men, extended. And this 30 hours free childcare, extended to two to four year olds, is an excellent policy. But in order to make sense of that, we need to reduce the working week to 30 hours and in the interim, guarantee that there will be childcare for all the hours that people are working and in particular raise the minimum wage as Labour has pledged to at least £10 an hour. There's a debate going on in the Socialist Party at the moment as to exactly what a higher minimum wage should be in this period but so that parents like that McDonald's worker that Scott was talking about don't have to work all these hours and can have a work-life balance and spend some time with their kids. And Tory Chancellor Sajid Javid, he's promising to spend a lot of money. Yes, he is. Supposedly, austerity is over, say the Tories, which really indicates that they are terrified. They don't want to spend this money. They don't want to give any money at all to the working and middle classes of Britain. They want it all to go back into the coffers of big business. However, so frightened are they of the incredible anger which has built up over a decade of austerity that Javid is having to promise £100 billion of investment if the Tories returned over the course of a five-year parliament. Should they even last that long, by the way, which it's not clear anybody could... Even if it did turn out to be true, it's simply not enough. John McDonnell, who would be the Chancellor of the Exchequer if the Labour Party has returned to government, has promised four times that, £400 billion. It could actually go further still, but it's an excellent start. But there's another point here as well, that actually for the past decade, local councils have been passing on Westminster's cuts as simple managers in reality, local viceroys, if you like, for the Tories doing their bidding, rather than standing up and fighting back and saying, no, we are local political representatives, we stand for our community, and we are going to campaign for more money to provide the services which we need to. Now it's not just a left Labour leadership which is promising to turn on the taps should they be returned to government on the 12th of December. Even the Tories are saying they're going to start spending again. There is now no excuse for any council in the country to carry out any further cuts. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for Workers International. This week we heard from Marion Lloyd in a personal capacity, as well as Jared Wood speaking to Martin Powell Davis, along with James Ivans and me, Scott Jones. Help us spread the word by giving us a five-star review and subscribing so you don't miss out. Don't forget to recommend us to your co-workers and friends. We want you to send us recordings from picket lines and campaigns and reports of your activity. And we want your questions, comments and ideas for future episodes. Email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk Socialism the podcast has no wealthy backers. We survive thanks to the financial support of ordinary working class and young people and we're proud of the political independence that gives us. If you like what you hear, help us take the fight to big business. You can make a regular donation or one-off payment at socialistparty.org uk forward slash donate if you agree with the policies and actions the socialist party is fighting for we need you 
Join our fight for a winning strategy in the labour and trade union movement. Join the Socialist Party now. Send us your details at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. And if you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Till next time, solidarity.